Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, I'm really excited to be um, uh, moving on here in the Samuel series. This series has been very um, meaningful to me personally. It's, as I've been studying, it's hit my heart in a, in a deep and a fresh way. It's been good for me. And this series is all about stepping into the call of God. I want to encourage you. Step into the call of God for your life. God has a plan for your life. He not only created you in his image, but he created you with great purpose. I want to say this one more time. Only the call of God is eternal, meaningful, and fruitful at the same time. Nothing else that you pursue, brothers and sisters, will encompass this complete combination if it excludes surrendering and yielding to the call of God. So I want to encourage you, ask the Lord to speak to you, to lead you, to guide you, to help you live out this great and awesome call. Now today we're going to be looking at a contrast between Samuel and Eli and his sons. And there is a huge, huge difference when it comes to the call of God. God does distinguish. He does uh, um, look at people differently in regards to God's call. And what I want to do is I want to start by reading the key verses of the passage. And then I'm going to read kind of, uh, uh, kind of a whole paragraph, but we'll jump from here to there. We don't have time to cover all of this, and that's why. Sister, could I borrow your very cool Bible for a moment? So she got one of these, and she brought it with her, and she's ready to mark her Bible. Mark your Bible, and let the Bible mark you. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay? And I want to encourage you, read ahead. Like, come to church knowing the story so that I don't have to explain all of the background. I can hit the high points because we only have 35, 40 minutes. Okay? So come to church full of the truths. Read the next couple of chapters and meditate on it and pray and ask the Lord to show you what is the main truth. And, and Lord, how do you want me to respond to your word? So we're, we're going to jump right in. 1 Samuel, here's the key verses of the text. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels and they had no regard for the Lord. If I could only preach one verse today, this would be it. Okay? Eli's sons were scoundrels and they had no regard for the Lord. Everyone say no regard. Essentially, this is what we're talking about today. It says, then verse 18 says, but Samuel, here's the contrast, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. So even as a little boy, he was already wearing the priestly garment. 
Now, in the New Testament, we are all part of the royal priesthood. So we should all be wearing our ephod today and every day. The ephod was, when the, when the priest put on the ephod, it meant that he was going before the presence of God. And then in verse 30, so here you have God contrasting. Here's what God says. He says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. That, brothers and sisters, is what it takes to answer the call of God is to do what is in God's heart and mind. Now, if you look at this first verse, it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels and they had no regard for the Lord. This is the essential difference maker. No regard means no respect. It means no reverence. And when it comes to the call of God, everybody repeat that with me. Ready? When it comes to the call of God. In Cicero, one more time. When it comes to the call of God, I want you to know, reverence makes all the difference. That's the title of my message. If you really want to answer the call of God, you have to live opposite of the sons of Eli. See, the, the sons of Eli, they had no regard for the Lord. It means no reverence. We're going to unpack this, and you're going to see what they did. But this is something that we don't preach about often, but it is so fundamental to really operating in the call of God and making a difference. So now let's look at the whole passage. I'm just going to run through these these uh, different verses. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, uh, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Sh uh, Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, now this is an Old Testament process of the sacrifices. Listen, but even before the fat was burned, the priest's servants, this is speaking of the sons of Eli, would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Now stop right here. So here's the gist of it. The priests lived off of the offerings of the people. So, so the people would give in the same way pastors get paid by the giving of the people. Okay, we have 30 people on staff. 
here. And um, slides are made and, and uh, uh, music is prepared. There's all of these different things that are done because there are people who are like priests. They're New Testament Levites. And so the offerings were given. And then there was a proper distribution of those offerings. Okay? When you guys give, that offering is holy to God. We as leaders have to treat your money as holy. You understand? There's a right way and a wrong way to even spend the money. But, but, but in, in this particular case, it wasn't necessarily an offering like you give today, like you gave today. But in this case, they were actually taking, even before it was offered to God, they were saying, give that to me. And the Lord sees everything. Listen to me. The Lord sees everything. Everything. That's why we need to walk in reverence, because the Lord sees everything. Okay? And the Lord doesn't play favorites. Some people can please God. Some people could be a scoundrel in the sight of God. Oh, God loves everybody. Yeah, he does love everybody, but he still calls a scoundrel a scoundrel. You see? So let's keep going. It says, but Samuel, here's the contrast, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Here's a real quickly. So while a little, while all of this corruption is going on, he was growing in the Lord. We're going to close on this. It's possible. Let's keep going a little bit more. Now Eli, who was very old, now, Eli was the head priest, okay, of that particular, in, in the same context of me being the lead pastor of this congregation, Eli was the head priest there. And so it says, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You see, the, the problem with sin is that when you open the door to sin, you keep going. Okay? There's no such thing as a little sin. You open that door, then you just keep on going. That's the way it is. So this, the, they, they were not just treating the offerings wrong. They were, they were, everything now was defiled. Okay? And a house, the house of God can be defiled. It could be made dirty. It could be made ungodly and unholy in its, in its expression because of what the leadership does. And... What all the priests do. Everybody say, I am a priest. Yes, you are. You're part of the royal priesthood. A little more. It says, and the boy Samuel, we're just jumping down, verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli, and it always will happen. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Here's what he's saying. 
Why are you taking what I said needs to be handled in a specific way? Brothers and sisters, it has to be done in a specific way. You live for God in a specific way, in a prescribed way, in the way that he prescribes. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, he says, why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that the members of your family would minister before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be, de- uh, but those who despise me will be disdained. And then in verse 35, last one, he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. See, God is looking for faithful priests. Wherever you find yourself listening today in Cicero, what is he looking for? He's looking for faithful priests. And when we say faithful priests, it means the priesthood of the believer. It means all of, all of the God's children. If you're a child of God, you're called to live like a priest. The priesthood of the believer. And he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house And they will minister before my anointed one always. Ministering before Jesus always. How many want to minister before Jesus always? Come on. So let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would breathe on your word today. And Lord, these are sacred and solemn things that we're talking about. And I just ask that you would give me the grace, God, to communicate your heart, and I pray that you would give us the grace to receive your heart today. God, you want to speak to your people even in the midst of a corrupt and dark and difficult time. We know that you are still sovereignly in control. And so, Lord, we want to live for you. Make us faithful priests. Teach us, Lord God, to live with great regard for you. Impart the reverence of the Lord, the fear of the Lord to your people. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. When it comes to the call of God, reverence makes all of the difference. It is the absolute difference maker for those who actually live out God's call and those who fall away from God's call. What is reverence? Let's define it. Reverence is genuine respect and honor for the Lord. It's a respect that results in spiritual, moral, and ethical health and wealth before God and his people. Let me read that to you one more time. Okay? Reverence is a genuine respect and honor for the Lord. It's a a respect that results. There's a fallout to this. It's a respect that results in spiritual, moral, and ethical. How often you hear about financial uh, uh, health and wealth. You hear all of these different. But when was the last time you heard the phrase ethical health and wealth? When someone walks with great respect and honor, when someone chooses to live 
with respect and honor for the Lord, they become ethically wealthy. They're ethically healthy. It means they naturally have the strength and the capacity to do what's right and what honors God and what blesses God. It transforms them because they're thinking about just wanting to please the Lord. Look at what Charles Bridges said. Charles Bridges said, reverence is the affectionate respect by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. You see, some people serve God out of obligation. But other people serve God out of affection. The call of God means that you love him so much and you respect him and want to honor him so much that you choose, you make certain choices, you, you, you respect his word. And, and you live by what the word of God says and you just, you live in a humble regard and reverence for what God says in his word. Daddy, why do we do that? We do that because God says to do that, son. Daddy, why do we do this? Or mommy, why do we do this? We do this because it's in the word, because we love the Lord. Because we're the kind of people that want to make God glad. We're going to be with him in heaven forever and ever. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Hallelujah. <laughs> See, reverence means that there's a respect for God and an honor for his word and his will. William Arnott put it this way. Listen to this. What God, what God is inspires awe. And what God has done commands affection. So when Pastor Christian was saying, hey, uh, Mary Magdalene is not going to outsing me. What was he saying? He was saying, I have to express my affection for God because of what he's done for me. I can't deny what Jesus has done for me. I can't let anything be diminish what Christ has done for me. Anybody thankful for the cross? Anyone thankful for the blood today? Put your hands together and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness, for salvation that's full and free. Hallelujah to the Savior. Hallelujah to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course we scream and shout to the Lord. You want to scream and shout to the cubbies, knock yourself out. But we scream and shout to the Lord. See, there's this affection. When someone has this reverence for God, this respect and honor for God, it's like your heart is always it's tuned into him. And it changes everything about you. Look at what Proverbs uh, 1.7 puts it this way. It says, the fear of the Lord or reverence for the Lord, okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what it means. It means the principal part of real knowledge starts with respect and honor for God. Let me say this one more time. The principal part, the starting place of real knowledge surpasses what, what your education can give you. 
See, because a lot of people are very educated, but that doesn't mean that you're wise. A lot of people are very educated, but they could use their education in a way that is contrary to the word of God. And it's not good for them, and it's not good for the world. You see? So it's the starting place. The starting place of true knowledge. It begins with having a respect and an honor for God and his word. Ephesians uh, in chapter 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, it is impossible to have real healthy relationships, whether it be marriage, whether it be with friends, unless there's this built-in respect for one another. I guarantee you, if we just had true reverence for Christ in this city, we would not have division. We would not have racial conflict. There would be none of those things because we would know Jesus loves us all. Jesus has washed away all of our differences. The blood of Jesus washes away every color line, every socioeconomic difference. We would just love each other and submit to each other and work together. You see, but it all starts with the fear of the Lord, regard for the Lord, reverence, is the doorway to three key things, his nearness and voice, his wisdom and guidance, his power and protection. Let me say that one more time. Reverence is the doorway to his nearness and voice. If you really want the voice of God, you have to respect and honor him. You won't get it out of your head like, oh, I know. Oh, I grew up in church. It won't work that way. Real reverence. Real, really hearing from God requires this nearness, this reverence that says, God, speak to me. And then all of a sudden, he draws near and he begins to speak to you. All of a sudden, he begins to guide you. God guides those who walk in respect and honor for him. The call of God rises and falls on the basis of reverence. And here's what I want to do. I want to kind of give you a quick example comparing the sons of Eli to this moment. So, reverence means that you have respect for God and honor, and, and that you honor what he's assigned you to do, all right? So, in, in the case of Eli's sons, so they have their own heart. Reverence begins in your heart. Reverence is not cultural, you see, reverence, like when I was a kid, I remember we would be walking by. I haven't said this in a while. We would, I grew up in a, in a in, exposed to, a, instead of a, a relationship-based um, faith, it was more religion-based. Religion is outward. Relationship is inward. So I remember we were, talk about scoundrels, so we were scoundrels, but when we would walk in front of the church, we'd be like, Shh. And then two blocks away, we were back at it, right? You understand? That's not reverence. That's religious. Some people think you put your hour in and now you're really honoring God. You're not honoring God. You honor God in your heart. You respect God in your heart. How many would say amen? So listen, it means that it goes from your heart to your home. 
Reverence is lived out in the home. Respect and honor for God is lived out in the home. Okay, there's a big difference between Samuel's house and Eli's house, Eli's son's house. What is your house like? Is it like Eli's house or Samuel's house? Do people feel reverence? Do they feel honor and respect when they walk in your house? Are things said and done that, that respect God and honor God, words that lift up the Lord, or something different? You see? Then, so it was like their hearts, their homes, and then they had their assignment. Their assignment was to operate for God in the temple. But, but, but there are different assignments, and no matter where you go, you are called to glorify and honor God with your life. Your life, your vocation. My brother owns his own business. That is his God-given assignment. And it is through that assignment that, that he brings glory to God and fulfills the call of God for his life. It is through that assignment. And he doesn't have to be in church all the hours that we spend in church. He spends plenty of hours in church by serving. But in his assignment, when he wakes up in the morning, when he goes to work, it is there that he reveres the Lord. You see, it's plainly stated, brothers and sisters, reverence means that you know Jesus is in the room and you actually want Jesus in the room. If you're taking notes, write that down. Okay? It means that in your heart, in your home, and on your assignments, not only do you know that Jesus is in the room, but you actually want Jesus in the room. What would Jesus say about this? What does Jesus think about this? You know, if you look at the last two or three years of our, by the way, by the way, this is really a one-point message. I have a couple of applications at the end, but this is all explaining reverence, the fear of the Lord, regard for the Lord. But if you look at the cultural landscape for the last two or three years, one of the Standout occurrences has been um, the tragic falling of so many leaders in every field, including the ministry, including the church. So I'm going to talk about this issue even in the church, even with leaders, because the Bible is talking about Eli. And I, I need to deal with Eli and his sons, but I do so, I want you to know, I do so with fear and trembling for my own life. Because the Bible says, whoever thinks he stands, you better be careful lest you fall. How many know we all just desperately, desperately, desperately need Jesus? Because somebody say amen. My wife and I, we desperately, desperately, desperately need Jesus. Okay, and we can't do this on our own. And if there's anything good in us, it's because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. But the truth of the matter is, is just because you have the title man of God doesn't mean you are a man of God. It all is based on your level of reverence. Is do you have a regard for God? You know, a couple years ago, if they could send me one of the keyboard players, 
A couple years ago, I was in a, many, actually about maybe seven years ago. And I don't talk about like, stuff like this because one of the things I don't like doing is criticizing the church. Okay, but I need to talk about this because God exposes one of the leaders. And I would be a hypocrite if I don't talk about this. Okay, so seven, eight years ago, I was in a pastor's conference. And it might have been 700, 800 pastors. And we had a, a leader, national leader, masterful speaker. You know, when you listen as a pastor, you can listen with your heart, but you also can listen in a way like you're, you're almost learning what someone's doing. And I remember thinking, this is so powerful, and this is masterful communication. And so I'm like being blown away by this word, you know, and I'm listening. And I want you to know, I listen to sermons. I, li I not only feed myself, but I listen to other pastors because I want to be fed. I want to learn. I do just what you do because I need just what you do. You should read the Bible, listen to sermons. I should read the Bible, listen to sermons. So anyway, I'm listening to this sermon, and the guy is just, it was so powerful. And then at a certain moment, he, there's a switch. And he says, he goes into an illustration, and he says this. He goes, you know, before my wife, there was this woman I had a woman in my life. I don't have it perfect, but I'm giving you the gist of it, at least the way it hit me. He said, I had a woman in my life, and he goes, Marcy. He goes, Marcy. Oh, Marcy. He went, oh, Marcy. And when he said that, I'm sitting with Chrissy. Chrissy was like, and I'm like, uh-oh, what's he doing? You know, like immediately my spirit was grieved. And so he plays it out, and then he goes, yeah, she was, she was in the second grade. And it was a big joke, and people chuckled. But to be honest with you, I was done. He lost me. He lost me because there's not one moment that we should be irreverent. It's not one moment. So I remember driving home thinking about the wrong thing. Instead of thinking about Jesus, I was thinking about what he said. I don't want you thinking about me. I want you thinking about Jesus when you go home. And I was just like, oh, man. You know, interestingly enough, I hate to say it, but today, national ministry, he's out of the ministry. You see, because if we don't walk in reverence, if we don't honor the Lord, then the Lord won't honor us. I say this with deep love in my heart. Businessmen, you got to honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your life. Honor the Lord with what you say. Listen, uh, 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 my wife recently spoke in a in a, in a conference, and a, a speaker used the, 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 uh, the passage of Scripture where, where the woman is, is crying at Jesus' feet. And you know what he did? He sensualized it. He, he, he made it something unholy and ugly, like if it was funny. It's not funny. Unholy things are not funny. It doesn't matter what room you're in. 
You grieve the Holy Spirit when you, when you say irreverent things, when you do irreverent things. Jesus is in every room. I can't imagine one of the pastors on staff. I can't, I can't imagine them saying some kind of unholy thing. Forgive me. Listen. Never once have I heard one of our pastors say an off-color joke. Never once. I, for the life of me, I can't imagine one of our deacons saying, because now we're not in front of you saying something about a woman or saying something, you know, something racial or some, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, some kind of off-color joke. I can't imagine that. Because we would be hypocrites. It's not just up here, it's when we go home. It's not just when we go home, it's when we go to the office. We could just respect the Lord. I'm telling you, a great change would come to our country. We have to understand what it is we're really talking about here. You know, I got to close here, but... Still have two quick application points here, but um, yeah, we we had a pastors' appreciation day, and we we went to play top golf, all the pastors, and then we went to eat, and um, and when we went to eat, we were sitting at lunch, and we just I don't, we laughed for like an hour, because to tell you the truth, being a pastor is a unique kind of life. You're in the highs and in the lows of people's lives. And um, it's so intense to be a pastor. But in the midst of all of that intensity, you're exposed to all kinds of funny things. Okay? And we were laughing about this. And we laugh about mistakes that we made. And, you know, sometimes, do you know how hard it is, I just, how hard it is to do a wedding? I'd rather preach a thousand sermons because a wedding, you mess up. Listen, the girl's got the video, she's got the dress, and then you say her name wrong. Oh. <laughs> so, like, we're talking about all these things, and we're laughing and joking, and as we do all the time. Never. God, have mercy on us. Never, never do we think it's cool. It's not cool. To be irreverent. See, some people like coming to church, but when they go home, they don't want Jesus in the room. See? When they put on the TV, they don't want Jesus in the room. When they hang out with their friends, they don't want Jesus in the room. We gotta, we gotta want Jesus in the room. Lord, have mercy. Get around people that are like Samuel and get away from people that are like Eli. Help us, Lord. Listen, last two quick application points, but to go into this, I want to say something. So I met a, I was with one of the young men in our church recently, talking to him, and such a special guy. And he said to me, um, I said, how did you come to the church? How do you pick the church? And he said, well, I picked the church because I wanted to be in a prayer meeting. He goes, I just love being in a place that, that, that 
that it focuses on God and you feel the presence of God. And, and the, imagine how I feel. I'm reading, I'm preparing this message. And this guy, this guy's not married yet. This guy has picked our church because of sacred things. Think of the responsibility and the weight that is to any pastor. Oh, Lord, have mercy on him. Like, help me, Jesus. Help me to be godly, Lord. Not in a I'm afraid to fall kind of way. I don't mean it that way. I just mean I'm hungry and I'm desperate for God. I'm desperate for God. And I want you to be desperate for God. If you'll get desperate for God, if you'll get hungry for God, you will live out the magnificent call of God for your lives. How many want to live out the magnificent call of God for your lives? So listen, two quick application points. Here's what reverence will do for you. It's what he did. It's what it did for Samuel. Number one, reverence keeps you close to God in the midst of corruption. Was Israel corrupt? Yes. Was it, was it corrupt nationally? Yes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Was there rampant sin and rampant disregard for God? Yes. Were the priests, even the leaders of the church, corrupt? Yes. And let me say this. If you have been impacted by an irreverent leader, if you grew up on a leader who was ungodly and irreverent, especially someone who, who stood at the sacred desk, who handled the word of God, I want to I wanna apologize on their behalf. I want to apologize on behalf of any leader that's let you down. But you must be like Samuel. Just because they fell, that doesn't mean that God can't keep you. God kept Samuel. He can keep you. You can live a holy, godly life. Don't make a leader's mess your excuse to live in a mess. Don't do it. Samuel didn't do that. Samuel ministered. Before the Lord. It says, listen, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Keep on that little vest that makes you a priest in the presence of God. Thomas Merton said this. He said, we make ourselves what we are by the way we address God. The whole world could be going crazy. But I'm telling you right now, in your living room, my office is in my basement. I have a confidence. I have a confidence that God can keep you. If you, wherever your spot is, wherever you seek God, God can keep you. I have a confidence. I'm not afraid of this world. I'm not afraid of the craziness. I'm not afraid of viruses. I'm not afraid of wars and rumors of war. He will keep his people. And he'll keep us, he'll keep us in the midst of corruption. He'll keep our children. So many, sometimes we parents, we rail up against the, the craziness of this world and then we are irreverent in our homes. What a big mistake for our kids. 
God wants to keep us. Here's the last thing, and we'll close. Reverence will grow your stature when the world needs stature. Israel needed a Samuel. Not an Eli, a Samuel. Israel needed a man of great spiritual stature. You know what Chicago needs? Chicago needs Samuels and Samanthas. Women and men who wear the priestly garment, who live out the call of God, who are living on mission, in the hospital, at the store, wherever you find yourself, in the car dealership. God wants to use you. The world needs people with spiritual stature. The world needs people before them who have answered the call of God. Let me just say this. The world doesn't need us to be clever or cool or relevant. I don't want to turn people off, you know, at the cost of reverence. You know, it's a foolish play that even leaders in the church have fallen into. Like, you know what, I'm going to be worldly to reach worldly people and somehow make them more godly. How many know you're not going to make someone world, uh, godly with worldliness? You, make, you inspire people to godliness through godliness. So, I could preach for another hour, but I need to stop now. Here's, let me just say this. How do you develop reverence? How does a person develop reverence. We're going to talk more about this in the next couple of weeks, but, but fundamentally it's this. It's recognize that your greatest call in life is not to be a lawyer, is not to be a pastor, is not to be a dad, it's not to be a husband. Your greatest call in life is to do what Samuel did. It's to minister to the Lord. How many would say amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things will be added. See? So that's why I always encourage you to worship in your home. Because the spirit of God, his eyes go to and fro throughout the earth. He's watching, he's watching, he's watching you. You're in your kitchen, you're in your living room, you're in a car, you're in an office, you're right here, you're in Cicero. But whenever a heart reaches, it's in you, Lord. It's in you, Lord. We know there's more that's found in 